This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comics show. And Dan, did you know, and and I'm Matthew Rushing by the way, I'm sorry, I'm getting all out of order here because I had some exciting news and I didn't know if Dan knew it yet. Um, Dan, I'm glad you're with me. Uh, but, glad um, to be here. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, congratulations are in order. Because we have been nominated, we are a finalist in the Parsec Awards. That's right. Yeah, I saw the news today. That's really exciting. Uh, some very illustrious uh, other podcasts on that list, too. It's uh, really humbling to be part of that group kind of thing. I well, I was floored uh, when I saw that last night. It, uh, I got the uh, email after we had finished recording uh, the 602 Club. And uh, I was talking to uh, C. Brian Jones, who who helped create this show with me way back in the day. And you, if you listen to any of our back catalog listeners, you will hear Chris and I doing the show together. And he was uh, letting me know some of the competition I'm up against with this, the 602 Club. And I was looking at them and I'm like, oh, these, these are like monster podcasts. I'm like show hasn't even been around for a year yet the 602 <laughs> club so and then to have this be nominated um i just i'm i'm floored you know um and uh we owe it i think to uh one the listeners who've been so faithful here and here. yeah and the authors uh, and i really want to say thank you to the authors right now uh, i hope you're listening we appreciate you guys supporting us we love what you do we share your passion and we appreciate that you want to come and share yourself with the show. So, uh, yeah, that was just a really exciting thing. And, um, yeah, thank you for, for making this show what it is. Because without the listeners and without the authors, I think, being here, this show would only be a couple of guys talking Star Trek books. And, well, that's semi-exciting. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's the rest of that that I think really makes it special. Definitely, yeah. No, it's 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 the listeners who make this podcast and of course the wonderful guests that we get with the authors uh coming on the show and sharing their work with us. It's it's just incredible. Well, one of the exciting things Dan is that we haven't recently had a ton of news, but we had a deluge of news because we had Shore Leave and Star Trek Las Vegas on the same weekend. Yeah, that was a 
pretty incredible. Uh, we, we really hit pay dirt when it came to Star Trek book news here. Uh, we've got a ton to share with you. Uh, first of all, and this is really exciting to me. Uh, I think like most good Star Trek fans, I had a copy of the Star Trek encyclopedia, multiple copies as they updated it over the years. Uh, but unfortunately we haven't gotten an update of that since 1999. It's been 16 years since we've had a new Star Trek encyclopedia. And, uh, yeah, that ends uh, next year. We're getting the Star Trek Encyclopedia updated, uh, including everything that from the Prime Universe that wasn't in the past one, in the past edition, like uh, the last bit of Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek Enterprise, Star Trek Nemesis, and also uh, new material from the J.J. Abrams big screen reboot movies as well. This is really exciting. Um, Mike Schindler from Commentary Trek Stars was commenting about this too on the Babel conference, and um, he mentioned, you know, this is going to be coming out the same month that the new film is supposed to. After that, so there's a really good chance that all three of the JJ films will be a part of the encyclopedia. There's no reason for uh, Michael and Denise Akuda not to know what's going on in that movie enough to be able to include it. So. This will cover every single thing revolving around on-screen Trek, which the fact that it's going to be a two-volume hardcover edition that it'll come in a slipcase and will sell for 99 bucks. Um, geez, I mean, I'm pretty sure on Amazon it'll probably be more like 70 So I am so all about this um, because I miss being able to flip through the encyclopedia with, you know, I mean... Memory Alpha is fantastic, but it doesn't do the same thing that Michael and Denise are going to do in this encyclopedia. Exactly. I I can't tell you how much fun I had when I was younger just reading article after article in the encyclopedia. And one of my favorite features was was kind of this little bit at the end. They had kind of an appendix that had all the guest stars or all the all the actors who were in any Star Trek and all the characters they played and like you know Von Armstrong's section took up half a page and uh, that was I don't know why but I spent a lot of time cross referencing that and finding out what what other shows actors had been in uh, there's just all kinds of little tiny bits of information that even the most diehard Star Trek fan flipping through this will discover for the first time and. You know, it's it's really exciting to be able to go back and, and do that all again. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah. And on top of that, I loved getting the tweet from John Jackson Miller came out saying that he has not just one book that's going to be coming out next year, but a trilogy of books. I mean, so we're going to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of Star Trek and leading into Next Generation's 30th anniversary with a entire trilogy spanning the next generation the federation and including the klingon empire and this is called prey do you think somehow the herogen have made their way to uh you know the alpha quadrant <laughs> that was kind of my first thought i mean they've they've done it in the i think star trek online universe so yeah they could have something to do with that uh you know my initial thought like playing on bird of prey or something like that but 
Yeah, it definitely does have a kind of Herogen feel to it. So you never know. It could be something like that. Well, I'd be really excited um, no matter what this is. I, I really enjoyed Takedown. I think it was a great Star Trek book. And I'm really excited to see what John Jackson Miller has in store. You know, he said that this is kind of encompassing a lot of the things that he loves about Star Trek in this. So, goodness, I mean, if it's spanning the the next generation era and it's an epic crossover between the Federation and the uh, Klingon Empire, it seems like, too, this is going to be maybe a Destiny style event almost where there's lots of different crews involved i mean that's what i'm picturing so i'm all for this yeah definitely i'm, I'm really hoping for something big and epic and sweeping like that as well and uh you know having read a little bit of john jackson miller's work uh as in addition to the star trek novels i read kenobi and that man can tell a story so i'm really excited for these well, it is the 50th anniversary. So yes. You go big or you go home. Absolutely. And, uh, I don't think we want Trek going home anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's actually kind of cool. We're getting three or sorry, we're getting two trilogies next year because we've got the 50th anniversary trilogy right before this one. So, you know, six months in a row of, of a trilogy, two trilogies of stories. That's pretty great. <laughs> uh, it's like we've got a original series you know, and then the prequel series right together. So two different trilogies. Now we just need a third trilogy for J.J. Abrams stuff. Oh, it's coming up all threes. Do you think maybe we're in some kind of time loop? Maybe we're trying we to send ourselves before? a message. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Possibly. I, I hope not. I don't want to be caught in a time loop personally. <laughs> yeah, unless it's a really good day. You never want to be caught in a time loop. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Groundhog Day taught me one thing. No day is worth reliving that many times. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Well, the last bit of news uh, here about new books is uh, Christopher L. Bennett on the Trek BBS mentioned that at Shore Leave, he announced a couple of new books that he's got on the way. Uh, The first one is coming right at the end of uh, 2016. So it'll be released in late December, and it's actually the January 2017 book, and it's an original series novel called The Face of the Unknown, uh, which is a really cool title. And Christopher L. Bennett hasn't done TOS for quite a while, so this could be pretty interesting. Do you think that this is going to be maybe a follow-up to Ex Machina and possibly the start of a five-year mission for the Refit Enterprise and Kirk and the crew? That would be really cool. I like we know it's something that he's really wanted to write more about. So uh, if Pocket Books has given him the chance to play around in that era, I'm all for that. Yeah, me too. Uh, I I'd, I'd snatch that up. Well, of course I'll snatch that up, but uh, <laughs> as fast as possible. Um, he's going to be doing another DTI book as well, Department of Temporal Investigations novella called Time Lock, and uh, that one's not scheduled yet. But uh, excited to see that because we both enjoyed the Collectors. I mm-hmm. mean, who doesn't enjoy Jurassic Park of the Billionth <laughs> Century? So I mean. I have no idea where he's going to go next with this series, but I can't wait to see where it is. Yeah, if I had to name kind of my favorite quirky new title in the Star Trek universe that's outside of the norm, I I just love DTI, uh, Department of Temporal Investigations. Those books are just a lot of fun, and Dolmer and Luxley are great. So, yeah, I'm really excited to get another story in uh, in that series. 
Mm. Me too. Well, we have one more thing in news, and uh, strangely enough, Dan and I, I think we're both really looking forward to this. We had talked about last month the uh, Star Trek Green Lantern crossover, um, the Spectrum War, and we have number two out now, just dropped today. Uh, Dan, so we pick up the story, and Green Lantern is there. He's got his ring. Chekhov, Ahura, and Bones have their rings. Chang has gotten a ring, and we end up finding out where the other rings go. And goodness, this story is galaxy-spanning already. <laughs> we've got Gorn, we've got Romulans, uh, we've got, you know, Klingons. It's just, it's really making great use of all of the Star Trek, uh, the Star Trek milieu. <laughs> Klingons and Romulans and <laughs> Gorn, oh my! <laughs> That's exactly how I felt. I mean, we were visiting all of these really cool places. Um, we haven't seen a ton of Romulans in the JJ universe, but um, you know, getting to see them, the Klingon Council, uh, the the Gorn back. I mean, it's like they're making use of all of the things that they've done in the comic series to bring this one to life, and that's so exciting. And not only that, but then adding the fun of. Green Lantern with that, and uh, I'm just, I'm blown away by how much enjoyment I'm getting out of this series, and how diametrically opposed I think it is to the Trek Ape series, where, uh, I don't know, Dan, you were explaining this really well on the other side of the page before we started recording, and I I think you really nailed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Trek Apes to me felt like it was Planet of the Apes guest starring a few people from Star Trek. (laughs) You know, it just, it kind of didn't really make use of the Star Trek universe the way this one appears to be uh, doing. I'm I'm loving like all of the inclusion of all the little bits of of Star Trekiness. And, you know, I was thinking about it and I think what's really killing it for me is uh, they're having fun with it. You know, this is fun. They're kind of embracing the whimsy and and going a little crazy with the story. It, I don't know, it feels like they had a lot of fun writing this. Like it wasn't just kind of a writing assignment. It was, hey, this is what we can do. This looks really cool. Let's do it. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, I think it's going to be fun to watch Hal Jordan and Captain Kirk kind of go at it because especially this version of Captain Kirk is even more in that frame of a Hal Jordan. He's kind of cocky. He likes to make pithy jokes and that kind of thing. So I'm very excited to see them begin to form an interesting relationship, I think. And so, yeah, I hands down, this is, I mean, for me, so far this series is, like you said, it's killing it. Um, and I can't wait, honestly, to see what happens next month. I, I kind of wish that it was already next month so I could pick up the Spectrum War number three. And so if that's not high enough praise, I'm not sure what is. And if you're not reading this, I, I definitely encourage you to go out, get a copy, um, you know, pick it up on your e-reader or, or go to the comic book store and find a copy because they've got some really great covers uh, going with this as well. So I, all in all, they seemed, like you said, I, I think it's all about the fun and the enjoyment of it, but at the same time, they're also telling a pretty interesting story so far as all of these races are getting the rings, and apparently it's Star Trek of the Rings. <laughs> We're just missing Sam and Frodo now. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, before we head into our feature, just want to remind everybody that Literary Treks is part of the Trek FM network. We have 20 different shows on the network all about different parts of Star Trek and beyond. So if you like any one of the series or just want to learn more about the series, we have shows dedicated to each one. We've got behind-the-scenes shows, different perspectives. We've got the 602 Club where we talk about all the different things in the geek world that don't have anything to do with Star Trek. I mean, we even have podcasts dedicated to fan series like Axanar. So check out trek.fm or iTunes.com slash TrekFM, and you can find all of our shows. We're a feature provider there on iTunes, and so I hope you'll do that. You can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We're on Twitter at TrekFM. You can find our listeners-only discussion group, the Babel Conference, on Facebook. Just type Babel in the search field on Facebook there. Or you can go directly to the website at trek.fm and hit discussion on the menu bar, and that'll bring you to the group. And that's a special group, too. It's only for the listeners. So if you want to join in with all the other listeners of Trek FM and have conversations about all the things we talk about, that's the place to do it. And, of course, uh, you can leave us a voicemail. We'd love to have some voicemails from you about your favorite Star Trek books or other things that you're thinking around Star Trek books or maybe your excitement over the new encyclopedia go to any of the pages on trek.fm and look in the sidebar and the show page there or you can just go to speakpipe.com and of course if you'd like to contact us about anything that we talk about here on literary treks we'd love to hear from you just go to trek.fm slash contact dan we are going to be wrapping up the second book in the worlds of deep space nine series which i'm excited that we're this close i mean we have one more world of deep space nine book and then there are only three more books in our deep space nine relaunch which i can't believe uh we're we're gonna make it by the time we reach ascendance uh and (laughs) kind of perfect timing too i think yeah it's really worked out well you know we're kind of uh the finish line is in sight and uh, we're we're making really good time getting there. So uh, really enjoying this retrospective too, I have to say. Uh, these books, I remember first reading them when they ca- first came out. And, you know, it's just as enjoyable this time around. I agree with you, Dan. I, I really do think that um, I, I've, I've been able to see the strengths that were there. And, and I've been able to, I think some ways pick up some of the weaknesses that I did miss the first time around. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of seeing it with a little bit more of a critical eye. Exactly. I mean, I remember when the series first started and, and you know, I, I was younger and very excited. Obviously, they were continuing Deep Space Nine, so it didn't necessarily matter. But yeah, I, I'm a little bit more reserved now in my judgment and so when i'm reading something and i've done a lot more reading since then so things have changed but yeah talking today about bajor fragments and omens this is the trill book i I think it was so jam-packed with so much stuff it was so fast-paced there was so much going on this book seems like the complete opposite of that and not to say there aren't things that go on in this book but this is a I don't know. How would you describe this book, Dan? I, I definitely think of it more of it, more as a, I mean, I was going to say quiet novel, but I mean, you know, there's some some pretty major things that happen, like the destruction of the the Bajoran village 
uh, in this one and, and, you know, that kind of thing. But the main story, the main thrust of the story is very quiet, very um, reflective almost. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's kind of a character piece, a character piece about Jake, about Rena, this this Bajoran woman that he meets, and almost a character piece about Bajor itself too, like the kind of issues that Bajor is facing, uh, both writ large, planet-wide, and also just in the personal experiences of the people who live there. And uh, it, I don't know, for me, this was a really... How do I put this? I, I felt almost melancholy as I was reading this. Like I felt like these things were happening to close friends that I had grown up with for a long time. And I realized that's kind of how I feel about Bajor. Over the course of Deep Space Nine, I'd really come to fall in love with that planet and you know its issues and its people. And this really is kind of its growing up period. It's entering the... Uh, the Federation becoming part of this interstellar community. And we see really what that means for Bejor as a whole and for the individuals that we meet in this novel. So are you saying that this is Bejor's John Hughes story? Uh, like they're coming of age? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think you really did. You nailed it. There is, there's a quiet melancholy throughout this book. And I think part of that is that there is a foreboding sense that something's coming. And, of course, we all read ahead. We all know what's coming. If you haven't, then you you might still pick up on this. But there really is something that is going to be coming down the pipeline for the series. It's actually a story that we never actually get (laughs) until when David R. George brings out Ascendance in December and finally tells the story that this was really the platform they were using uh, to to build into that Um, because there's so much that's left unresolved here that is only kind of hinted at you know we had a special guest in the the last book that we read with Q uh, and we kind of picked up on on who it was, and and then by the end we found out who it was. This book just leaves lots of clues as to who it is, but does not reveal mm-hmm. the actual identity. And so, you know, at this point, you know, years ago, you were just left questioning: okay, who in the world, and what in the world is going on with you know this Bajoran you know city that we've seen before with a Bashir and O'Brien and the storyteller with the bracelet, with the storyteller, Havoth. Uh, I mean, there's so much weird stuff going on that doesn't get wrapped up. And yeah, it's, um, I think it's, it's really interesting. But like you said, the rest of this, I mean, for the destruction of the city that happens, the rest of this really is a very quiet, contemplative book about Bajor and as you said uh, here in the outline, times they are a changing, mm-hmm. uh, and Bajor is becoming a full fledged member of the Federation, and there are some growing pains that go along with that. Definitely, I mean, you know, we see in the story there are a lot of new opportunities opening up for the people of Bajor. Uh, both for, like I said, the planet itself and for the individual people. You know, the, the galaxy's opening up to them. As members of the Federation, they can 
go and freely attend Starfleet Academy and, and, and visit the Federation at large and really become a part of this interstellar community. But a lot of the traditional lifestyles of the Bajoran people, a lot of them see this as kind of a threat. And, and you know, it's, it's tough to see, you know, we're, we're on the side of the Federation generally. We like the Federation. We know it's good. Star Trek's awesome. It's a utopia. We're all, we've all drunk the Kool-Aid. We're part of that. <laughs> but, you know, for the Bajorans, it's, you know, they're a little bit more wary, some of them. And I think that's justifiable. It's, uh, it's a big step and it's, it's difficult to see, you know, kind of the things that are happening, the growing pains that they're going through, uh, trying to cope with this new future that is suddenly presented to them. It is really interesting. You know, at this point, they're not part of the Federation, but the Klingons are allied with the Federation. And so to see them in the way that they are, you know, to be allied with the Federation, they would need to to do certain things, but they're still very Klingon. And I was thinking about that idea of it would be kind of scary to kind of get into something like this. And and I think in the end, um, I was picturing in history as the United States was forming and the states were joining an entire union and the struggles that went along with that to retain their identity, but it's still at the same time become part of an actual nation. And so each of the members of the Federation have to go through those going pains as well. But, you know, when we think of Vulcans, we, we they're Vulcan. You know, they haven't lost their Vulcanness. You mm-hmm. know, Andorians the same way. Um, all of these races have been able to retain who they are, Andorians, um, you know, Tellarites, you know, Tellarites are still nasty pigs, and I mean that <laughs> in the sense of the way they treat people, um, you know, they, 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 their combativeness and everything hasn't been tempered just because they're part of the Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is an interesting thing to watch them go through, and I, I really like the way it's dealt with um, in this book because I, I felt like it's so even-handed. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, nobody in the Federation, I think told anybody that they were wrong for feeling the way they did, you know? Right. Um, and that they understood, you know? Um, and if anything, I thought it was really interesting to watch somebody like Vaughn or Roe or Kira trying to talk people into becoming part of Starfleet because they were so impressed by the the person, you know, that uh, of the Bajoran militia that they thought, man, this person would be such an asset to Starfleet. And mm-hmm. uh, I just, I, I loved that because uh, I think what the Federation is getting in Bajor is a, is a really great member world. Um, and it, it's because of that cultured history that they have you know i mean this is a culture that has been steeped um in greatness for a much longer time than say earth Mm -hmm. you know um and they have a lot that they can bring to the federation and i just loved the way it was dealt with and and that slowness of the way they're telling the story with um asram trying to find a new ambassador to the federation because the old one had had died on earth of of old age nothing nothing sinister (laughs) um and so she had to replace uh that um, ambassador and just things like that i just i I thought it was it was nice to see bajor go through this period and you know we spent so long in the series where they're 
just a mess politically, you know, but Bajor finally has its stuff together, you know, mm-hmm. uh, politically. And that's kind of cool to see. In fact, they even bring up like the Circle Trilogy and the political ramifications of that and everything that's happened over there like the eight years now that we've been with the station and with Bajor. So, yeah, it was kind of nice. It's a nice capping off place of saying, look where Bajor is now. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely. And and I really, like you said, I really like that they don't merely dismiss the fears of people because, you know, there are some genuine fears. I think it's put best when, you know, the some of the characters are concerned that Bajor will just be, you know, one tiny voice in a huge chorus rather than being able to make itself heard and actually influence policy and, you know, really be able to kind of carve out a place for itself in the Federation rather than just being one of the multitude. And yeah, that's a very real fear. And I really like that it's dealt with very even handedly in this novel. Well, somebody who was seen in this book did make an appearance, Jake Sisko. And, you know, it might be Sisko who, uh, Ben Sisko, who's on the front of this book. But this story really is more of a Jake story. And, um, you know, after Rising Sun, it was really interesting to have basically a follow-up to that. You know, because we had Rising Sun and then Unity. So we had the Sun story, then the Father story. And now we're really kind of back to the Sun story and I kind of like the way that that's working here with the Cisco gentleman. And what did you think about the fact that basically Jake finds a wife? <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was quite a bit of a twist. I mean, you know, as you're reading the story, it's eventually revealed that this Rena person or Rena is. Uh, that that he's met on this trip is uh, Karena from the really wonderful episode The Visitor uh, that mm. shows Jake's mm. future. And I remember thinking how th- like how thrilled I was when I read that. I was like, oh my god, that's that that's Karena. That's awesome. That's that's the woman he's eventually going to marry. And then I turned the page and he says, guess what? I'm married. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, okay then. It was just, yeah, it was it was a big surprise in the book, and uh, uh, kind of have to applaud the author for going there and and just you know making that the story rather than you know putting it together piecemeal and and just kind of dancing around it. No, we're going to fundamentally change the dynamic of Jake's character and and really have kind of the ultimate. The ultimate rite of passage for growing up, basically, is what we got here. And it was really, it works well. Like, after reading this story, I could see that. I could see that happening. And I can see Jake and Karina making that work and being really good together. Well, it's funny because, you know, I said John Hughes' story earlier. And and this is really (laughs) where that kind of played out, you know, um, that that kind of growing up and becoming your own person. And I thought that was a really cool part of the the story that, you know, she has things that she feels called to do and promises she's made. And, and the struggle of, as Jake has always had, I mean, I think this was always interesting. This is what made Jake such an interesting character to me on Deep Space Nine. Where I was so surprised that other people didn't like him. 
Jake is the only character on Star Trek that's a kid of a main character that isn't trying to be just like their parents and Mm -hmm. be in Starfleet. And what was so interesting about that is that in the end, so many kids, we grow up to be different than our parents in that way, what, what they did for work and those kind of things. And this is really about Jake and Raina finding who they're going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be influenced, obviously, by their wonderful parents and grandparents that they had. But at the same time, this is the point where they decide, okay, what values uh, that I was taught are going to be mine and what direction is going to be mine. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they make the choice. And what I love is that it seems like Jake and Raina, for the most part, all the values they grew up with, they cherish. Um, they're just finding a way to make them fully theirs at this point. Right. And, you know, I, I kind of like that because, you know, so many times in a story, it's kind of about a rejecting what your parents did or what they taught you. But here, no, it's really that they had such great parents. They're just getting to embrace what their parents taught them and and fully make it them and theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just, I really, I, the story line is a, teensy bit cheesy but and it's a little romantic novelish a little bit but yeah. it's <laughs> it is so cute really i mean i it's weird to say that but it, it really is it's such an adorable story i have absolutely no problems with it and mm-hmm. i i like the way that both of the characters are written personally mm-hmm. um and it just seems like yeah this is the girl for jake you know, and she's an artist too, um, but she paints instead of writes and just seems like somebody, you know, that they they get each other in that way. And, and so one of the ways that's most fundamental and at the same time, they have a love of family, you know, that they've both mm-hmm. grown up. With. So I just I really like this. Um, I, I forgot how much I really enjoyed this part of the story. Yeah, no, definitely. I was I was kind of thinking, you know, it's great that uh, Raina's parents or Raina's family really wants her to, you know, embrace tradition and live a traditional life and, and you know, all that sort of thing. And, and they're worried she's going to run off. And then she kind of, I would assume, makes them pretty happy by saying, well, I'm going to marry the son of the emissary. So I think uh, I think she's definitely embracing Bajoran culture <laughs> right there. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when your kid marries the son of the emissary, it's kind of hard to be upset at him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to marry a human boy. Oh, but he's the son of the emissary. Oh, <laughs> you know, like it just. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was something that uh, and this is something that's not even an outline, but this is something that was really interesting. The idea that on Bajor there has been the kind of conspiracy theory, basically, that it, this is all set up by the Federation somehow. Mm. Like that he's the emissary, but he's humid, and then the uh, holo texts and all that. Like that was an interesting thing to see. And like most conspiracy theories here on Earth, it's complete bunk. Like, oh, totally. Like, yeah. You know, but I just love the way they kind of threw that in there. It is a side note that it almost felt like the writer being like, "Oh yeah," and all those conspiracy theories we have on Earth for the most part, it's just crap. Just <laughs> yeah, just don't listen to them. <laughs> you could just hear like. 
talk radio, late night talk radio on Bajor talking about the Federation conspiracy, you know, in, you know, they, they came here and the, the human captain was the, the emissary and within eight years were part of the Federation. Like this is, you know, it's, it's one universe order, clearly. <laughs> Ham radio crazies. That's what they call them there on, <laughs> on Bajor. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah, no, I, it was, that was funny. Um, okay. So this is um this really is setting up the end game. And I do have to ask you, did you feel frustrated at all rereading this, the fact that really there's so much setup in the story, but there really isn't any payoff for a very large portion of what's happening here. Like mm-hmm. it seemed like to me that we at least needed to to know that it was Ileana Gumor. Or, or something of that nature to really kind of make that pay off because like a third of this book is that storyline yeah. and yet there's really no payoff to it. Um, it is just set up. And I don't know, was that frustrating for you at all in the reread? A little bit, yeah. I kind of, while I was reading it, more, what what frustrated me more was kind of remembering uh, how interested I was in this storyline when it first started happening. And then, you know, we get the Ileana Gamor story and all that in the later books, but then it's just dropped and, and it's, you know, done. And, you know, this, this whole story like sets up Ileana Gamor's attempt, but then that leads into the Ascendant story, which we never, ever got. So while I was reading this, I was kind of remembering how excited I was for this whole new chapter and then how disappointed I was when it just stopped halfway through. And yeah, it was uh, that was a little frustrating. Um, and then, yeah, reading it through this time, knowing that it's Ileana Gamor almost felt more satisfying, but then yeah when there's no revelation at the end you kind of wonder when you were reading it way back when like how frustrating must that have been and when you eventually do learn it you know in a later book are you going to necessarily remember the exact scenes and fit it in and go oh yeah okay you know it was it yeah like you said it would have been nice to have just a little bit more payoff in this story maybe at the end you know well and we have talked a lot about obviously Cisco and him coming back and what they do with him in the future. I was reading this book and I was just seeing all of the story points for all the things that I wanted to see later on. You know, um, Cisco's connection with the prophets here is still very strong. You know, he talks to Kira at the very end. It's one of my favorite scenes of the book where he's talking to Kira at the very end, talking about how when he was in the celestial temple, he had this thread of connection with his family that kind of in some ways it almost kept him grounded and like you know even though he was outside of time and space and everything like that he's basically a god at that point um he has this through line and even now that he's back on bajor the the through line is going the other way you know, back to the Celestial Temple, that he has this calmness to him. It's almost, there's certain points where I almost feel like he's holding back that he does know things he can't tell people. Mm -hmm. You know, like, he's that kind of character now. He has a, I don't want to say he has a cuishness to him, but you know what I'm saying? Like, there's something different about Sisko, and 
it's more than just he's more than just human at this mm-hmm. point and yeah. it really seems like they're obviously setting him up for the ascendant storyline but i think even past that like i just i was lamenting while i was reading this that that's completely gone from the cisco that we have now like and i just am really i'm i'm personally really sad about that because this is um this calm peaceful serene cisco um who is a little bit otherworldly is kind of what i would expect him to continue to be like for the rest of his life just because of who he is and what's happened to him Mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of him kind of looking at the horizon and talking about what's to come and that kind of thing in this story and it really does feel as though he knows a lot more not just than the people around him but a lot more than he's letting on at all and uh yeah i'm i'm still really holding out hope that in the past parts of ascendance that that he's he's gonna do something he's gonna pull some emissary something to do with the ascendance because i mean that's what this book is setting up i mean i'm i'm not wrong right like i'm reading that cisco is you know oh the the trial that's awaiting bajor and and you know it's it's setting him up to do something big and and man (laughs) if we don't get that that's so disappointing i would hope so and and I'll say this because I think that if Ascendance doesn't do that, if it doesn't pay off that whole part of the story, it it'll do a disservice to us readers. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially with where they've taken Cisco now, I think that you need to have us be okay with the fact that he's not the emissary anymore. That you kind of stripped him of that specialness. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you've made Cisco really pedestrian at this point. Um, at least that's what I see. This is the Cisco that is the Cisco. You know, like you don't even almost you don't even want to refer to him as Ben anymore. He's the Cisco, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um and kind of like I mean, he's not like a McHenry type with the the new frontier, but mm-hmm. there's just something different about this guy. And and I think that yeah, that has to be paid off in the ascendance because you need to explain why it's okay for him really to not be the emissary anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's kind of Q crossed with Mr. Miyagi right now. Like he's very Zen. (laughs) (laughs) Q crossed with Mr. Miyagi. Now that, Oh my gosh, that is a visual right there. Yeah. But yeah, no, he's, he's really, yeah. Zen is kind of the, the word that I would use to describe him. He's very, calm he he knows he seems to know what's coming but he also seems to think that you know bejor can deal with it and presumably with his help (laughs) you know i'm i'm like i said i'm waiting for him to pull some you know emissary jujitsu out of of his uh out of his pocket here what was interesting to me um especially since this story as a connection with the storyteller episode and hovath um is somebody who has worked very hard to take his theology and his science and show how they're compatible. And I just thought that was fascinating Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, that is a a subject, you know, so many people 
think that science and the theology are on you know either side of the aisle and there's no crossing it and i just thought it was really interesting because all the things that he was talking about with the celestial temple and his studies and everything like that it was just like okay this this guy is is so smart because he's showing how these two things can actually mix you know at least in the star trek universe and i thought that was a nice thought to that the same thing happens in, in our universe. A lot of people's faith drives what they do with science. I mean, a lot of our famous scientists have been driven by their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's really helped them to come up with ideas that they might not have had if they hadn't been people of faith. So I just I, it's a small point, but I thought it was really interesting to have here in the book because, again, that's what Star Trek Deep Space Nine has really always done for Star Trek, which is kind of make faith okay in the Star Trek universe and show how it's valid. And so I thought that was a really nice, uh, and it, again, it's a it's a tiny point in the book, but I thought it was pretty powerful, at least for me, who is somebody who is a faith. So mm-hmm. well, I think to me, like kind of the most important thing is to have a curiosity about the universe and the world. And if it's, if that's driven by, you know, a pure desire to learn science, or if that's driven by one's faith to, learn more about the universe and the world. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And, um, and I really love that the character of Hovath is able to, you know, ask questions about the, um, the underpinnings of the things that make up his faith and that sort of thing. And that, that drives him to, you know, write papers about the nature of the celestial temple, the wormhole and all that kind of stuff. I I think that's really interesting and and a really fascinating uh, approach to take. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it it just, it's a fun and interesting idea. Um, And just a nice point that I I enjoyed picking up on. Um, Well, the last thing I just kind of thought was cool, you know, uh, this is where Sendeska comes into play for the first time and um he is going to be coming to Tarek Noor as the liaison officer for the militia the same thing that Kira used to do mm-hmm. um I loved Rose's idea there but I loved their conversation where basically she tells him to shut up and shove it uh and stop being such a crybaby about coming to Tarek Noor and her point about look people make a place a place is by itself neither special or horrific or anything like that. It's a, it's what the people that are there and what they're doing that make mm-hmm. a place. And um, I loved the thought that, you know, Tarak Nor, just like the Bajorans and the relationship with the Cardassians, everything had to be redeemed. The place did by what was done there. And uh, that's really powerful, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a really great little... Uh interaction between the two characters especially given where their relationship goes in the future and the fact that they work together for years after this to see kind of the beginnings of that here was was really cool and yeah that idea you know I kind of I didn't really think much about it while I was watching Deep Space Nine in the early days but yeah Terok Nor was was an awful awful place before the Federation came like it was an ore processing station that worked Bajorans to death on a regular basis. And, you know, to be a Bajoran living and working there day after day, 
you know, for a lot of people, I could see how that would almost be untenable. But over the seven years of Deep Space Nine, that place has become something different. And again, you know, it's not the walls and the bulkheads and that sort of thing that make it what it is. It's the people that inhabit it. And if people work there and live there with a sense of purpose and a sense of righteousness and a sense of of making the world or making the universe a better place every day, that's going to redefine that place. And I think, you know, for people who haven't lived there, who haven't been there, who haven't experienced that, it could still be this oppressive symbol. But, you know, you strip that away and you learn that, no, Deep Space Nine is something better. It's something amazing. And it really has become a symbol, I think, of the exact opposite of what the occupation was, you know, coming together and building a better world. Yeah, I, I, it was such a, I thought, just a powerful statement um, because that's it. It again, it was showing the place that Bajor is now compared to where they used to be. And um, it, it was it was powerful to, to see that change that's come over the Bajoran people and how time and hard work does kind of heal all wounds and Bajor's you know great wound is is really starting to close and you can see that in the story and I thought that was really special well Dan uh, okay so we are at the end of this book of the world of Deep Space Nine book two um what would you rate this book uh just all together um I think we both liked this story enough. Um, and so now that we have the entire book to rate, where would you, uh, yeah, uh, kind of maybe out of five, I don't know, whatever you want to do. What, what do you think? Yeah, it's kind of a, a tough one uh, because, you know, they are two very different stories by different authors. Um, I think I would have to give this the overall book kind of pretty high marks. I, re- I really enjoyed both stories for the most part. Uh, I, I enjoyed the Bajor story uh, a bit more than the Trill story. Uh, and and like the Bajor story for sure, I would want to give five out of five. Um, I think overall I would probably still have to give it about a 4.5, 4.6. I don't know. We're getting really, really um, finite in, in my ratings here, but... Yeah, no, I I really enjoyed both stories. I thought the character work in the Bajor story especially just really elevated that one. Uh, Over the course of, you know, a half-sized novel, I really came to care for this Reyna character. They really fleshed her out, made her a very well-rounded character. Um, Yeah, nothing but good things to say about this story. So definitely about a 4.5 out of 5 for me. I think for me, uh, you know, I like both of them very much. Uh, I, I'm with you. The the characterization uh, and what happened with Esri and Julian in that story and the way it was resolved there uh, puts that a little bit of a disadvantage when compared to this Bajoran story. Uh, so putting them together with being the second book in the worlds of Deep Space Nine, for me, this is a four out of five book. This is a good book i enjoy both of the stories and um so it's it's very solid and it's much better in the sense that i like both of the stories here better than obviously the andorian story in the other book that left me so eh, frustratingly cold 
um, for the most part because it just wasn't well done. When I compare that weird romance between Shar and Prin to this beautiful, wonderful romance between Jake and Reyna, there's no comparison. So yeah, this is definitely a great four out of five stars. Well, Matthew, that brings us to the end of uh, Worlds of Deep Space Nine Volume 2. Another kind of stepping stone on our road to finishing up the Deep Space Nine relaunch. Uh, it's kind of amazing how quickly we're getting through these books here. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, it is It is a lot of fun, and I'm glad that we're, we're finally getting to this point. Um, there are a few things we haven't covered. We haven't done the Left Hand of Destiny duology and we didn't do the lives of Dax, but both of those stand alone enough so that you can do them sometime. And so uh, we'll definitely do them. But um, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to be getting to this point. And again, I, I just as fortuitous that we're going to be finishing up the series, most likely just a few months before David R. George's book comes out that really finishes the story that um, we would get a part of you know with Warpath and Soul Key and uh, so I'm very excited to to really see that play out and um, yeah I, I couldn't be more excited so don't forget that uh, you can check all the shows out at uh, itunes.com slash trek.fm uh, if you're an Apple user do hit that subscribe button give us a star rating and review uh, for sure helps other listeners find us helps us rise in the rankings in itunes uh, and that's honestly where a majority of people really do get their podcasts but if you aren't an apple user don't worry you can find us on stitcher TuneIn, Spreaker, soundcloud windows phone and of course uh, you can stream and download the mp3 file from the website at trek.fm or you can grab the rss link as well put that in any podcatcher and listen to the shows any way you want um Really want to say thank you to Ken Tripp and Will Wynn for their support through Patreon of Larry Treks and being associate producers here on the show. Uh, Patreon is a way that you can support the network and keep all the shows coming to each week. We are a listener-supported network, and, and we need you, really, to be part of the team to help all the shows coming to each week. Uh, we are very proud that six of the shows were nominated for Parsec Awards this year and are finalists in those awards. And honestly, uh, the reason we can do that is because of the production value we're able to keep up because of listeners like you and your support. So go to patreon.com slash trek.fm. You can find all the goals that we have. We have some milestone content contributions that we'd really like to reach uh, and then for you we've got some great perks you could be part of the patreon roundtables uh, my friend uh, bruce gibson just joined in that he'll be uh, on the next patreon roundtable where we'll win just hosts people uh, that are a certain level on patreon to be able to come on and basically do a podcast too with each other talking about fun things in star trek exclusive content producer credit seats in the content development team and so much more you'll find all those details at patreon.com slash trek fm so really appreciate you guys for doing that don't forget of course that we have the goodreads group uh go to the show page trek.fm and literary treks and you'll find the information there for the goodreads and the link there you can also search for us in goodreads as literary treks 
Uh, that's a great place to go because we have the bookshelves there with all the previously covered books as well as the books that we're currently reading so you know what's coming out and you can be current with Literary Treks and be listening to the shows as they come out. And, of course, there's some great conversations happening there with the books and comics as well. So make sure you check that out. And one of the fun things I like that we do there that we don't do on the Babel Conference really is we talk about things that we're reading just in general. So you might get some good reading uh, books from uh, listeners there just sharing things that they're interested in. And it doesn't have to be just Star Trek all the time. We all have other interests, so that's really fun. Dan, tell everybody, of course, uh, before we go, just where to find you and and uh, about uh, your review website. Uh, yeah, Matthew. Uh, well, like you said, my review website, uh, that's kind of the my biggest web presence that's at www.treklit.com and there I write, write reviews of Star Trek novels, both old and new. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash treklitreviews uh, and on Twitter uh, at treklitreviews and my personal Twitter feed at kertrats, K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And of course you can find me on the Babel Conference and uh, on the, on our Goodreads group. And uh, Matthew, when you're not trying to petition the first minister to become the new ambassador to Bajor, where can we find you? You know, it would be great to be the ambassador to Bajor. Can you imagine? I mean, it's a gorgeous world. Um, you know, uh, the food there looks pretty good. The spring wine is fantastic. <laughs> uh, I'm still trying to get my spring wine uh, export business going, so maybe that would help. Oh, yeah, totally. There's there's definitely some government kickbacks. I I mean, uh, <laughs> hey, hey, we'll, we'll talk later. this above board. OK, well, you can find me at Matt Rushing is zero two on Twitter. Uh, M Rushing on Instagram. You can find me doing the orb with Christopher Jones. Uh, if you enjoy the Deep Space Nine conversations we have here, check out the orb. That is our dedicated Deep Space Nine show here in the network. And we have a lot of fun with that show, talking about the best Star Trek show. I'm also on the 602 Club. We pick a great new geeky topic each week and uh, help introduce people to things they may have never found before or just never tried, uh, as well as talking about classics. We talk about new things that are coming out. It's just a fun show. So even if the topic isn't your favorite idea, we might be able to talk you into it by listening to the show. It, it's so much fun to do, and I, I really appreciate, that, again, that that show is also nominated uh, and a finalist for the Parsec Awards. I got my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com where you can find book reviews, movie reviews, and other things that are important to me. So check that out as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.